Welcome back to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and unpack it into relatable concepts. I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and today we're talking about skin cancer and what you need to know. We'll go over the three main types of skin cancer, which are the most problematic, how they're treated, and why a plastic surgeon may be involved. It's not always the reason you might think. We'll also discuss some preventative measures you can take. Remember that this podcast reflects my experience and my opinion. It is not intended to give formal medical advice, but instead, you can use it to gain insight. So settle in for a listen and enjoy. Well, would you believe that skin cancer is actually the most common type of cancer there is? In fact, millions of new cases are treated each year in the U.S. alone and it's estimated that one in five people will develop skin cancer by the time they are age 70. Goodness. Lighter-skinned individuals tend to be at greater risk, but that does not mean that darker-skinned individuals have no risk. Now, you may think that skin cancer treatment is within the realm of what a dermatologist does, and rightly so, but not exclusively. So how does a plastic surgeon get involved in all this? Well, When skin cancers need to be excised, meaning removed, from an area without a lot of excess skin to spare, or from an area with important structures nearby which need to be protected, often a plastic surgeon is consulted. One particular area where closing up the skin after excision can sometimes be a little tricky is the face. But there are other difficult areas as well. Many times another physician might remove the cancer, but leave the wound open temporarily and then send the patient to the plastic surgeon for the wound closure or coverage. For example, a dermatologist might remove a facial skin cancer using what's called a MOHS technique, that's M-O-H-S, which simply means a process of removing the lesion in question bit by bit, checking under the microscope each time to see if all of it has been successfully removed. So in these cases, A plastic surgeon treating the patient will have to call upon their past specialized training to find a creative solution for rearranging skin and tissues to gain the best result in closure. But not uncommonly, plastic surgeons may end up doing both the surgical excision of the cancer and the closure, so that this closure can be planned out intentionally and only the necessary amount of skin removed. It can be pretty efficient that way. For other parts of the body beyond the face, Plastic surgeons are frequently asked to take care of skin cancers which may be particularly large and therefore might require skin grafting or tissue rearrangement to cover the wound that remains after excision. By the way, I'll go into more detail about what are called skin grafts and skin flaps in the next episode of this podcast. So today, let's talk about skin cancer and give you a good understandable construct to help guide you in the future should you need it. I think it will be helpful to begin by telling you about the three main types of skin cancer and then proceed from there. Those three types are basal cell carcinoma, squamous cell carcinoma, and melanoma. Now there are some other much less common types of skin cancer, but they're quite rare in comparison and won't be our focus here. Basal cell carcinoma is by far the most common type of skin cancer. It makes up about 80% of skin cancers, and fortunately, it tends to be relatively slow-growing. Once it's removed, that is essentially curative. But this doesn't mean you couldn't develop a brand new basal cell carcinoma someplace else, even nearby. It's generally considered non-lethal because it is so slow-growing, 
and usually it's noticed before it gets really large. But I can tell you I once had a patient who let his basal cell skin cancer of the scalp go far too long, maybe 15 years or so. He thought it was just related to an old injury that would never heal, even though it was getting larger and larger. Unfortunately, by the time he sought out medical help, it had gradually invaded into the bone and then into the brain. He ultimately passed away, despite an attempt by a team of surgeons to remove the cancer and reconstruct the area. Now this type of case is certainly a rarity, and I don't mean to frighten anyone, but I do mean to convey that no skin cancer should be ignored, even if it's extremely slow growing. Basal cell carcinomas are frequently found in areas that have had a lot of sun exposure and maybe even sunburn over the years, but not exclusively. Head and neck, back and chest, and arm locations are the most often involved. Many times, these skin cancers will present as either a pearly white or sometimes red-colored bump that has been around for at least a couple of months. Itching can also be a common sign. When this type of skin cancer is slightly more advanced, it may start to ulcerate, which means break into an open sore that does not want to heal. Treatment is, most commonly, surgical excision. And again, that would be curative if the pathology report comes back to show that the margins were clear. By the way, clear margins just means that under the microscope, there were no cancer cells identified at the edge of the skin that was excised. And that's what you want. There are some situations, however, in which alternative treatment besides surgical removal is considered. For example, if a person has many basal cell carcinoma lesions or even precancerous lesions like actinic keratoses all at once, and they are relatively superficial and small, but maybe covering broad areas of the arms or the scalp, then a topical chemotherapy type cream may be started and used for a few weeks to try to clear the area. Then anything left over after a couple of months could be surgically removed. This is not quite as effective and expedient for complete cancer removal as surgical excision would be, but it may be deemed by the physician to be a reasonable way to start treatment, depending upon the situation. The next type of skin cancer to know about is squamous cell carcinoma. It's pretty common too, but not as much so as basal cell carcinoma. Squamous cell carcinoma is a little bit more aggressive than basal cell carcinoma, and it can also develop in areas with sun exposure, though not exclusively. In addition, it can be seen in areas that have had some type of scar or trauma to them, such as from a previous burn wound or radiation, etc. Treatment for squamous cell carcinoma is almost always surgical. You want to remove them fully because this type of cancer can have a tendency to spread a little bit more deeply in the area where it arises and even travel to other areas. The appearance of the lesion is similar to what we described for basal cell, but sometimes they will present as being a little bit more scaly. Now that's not to be confused with what's called a seborrheic keratosis, or SK, which is completely benign and extremely common. A seborrheic keratosis may present as an irregular, slightly raised patch on the skin. It can have a little pigmentation to it, so it may be mistaken for a skin cancer by the untrained eye. Here is where the expertise of your physician comes into play. If there's any concern a lesion may be a skin cancer, an exam by an experienced physician can put your mind at ease. But if there is still any question, a biopsy or sampling can be performed and sent to the pathology lab to be checked under the microscope. Complete surgical removal or excision of the squamous cell carcinoma is also curative, like it is for basal cell. But it's important to get clear margins here 
before it spreads to deeper structures. Otherwise, there is a reasonable chance of regrowth, or what we call recurrence. And that third type of skin cancer, melanoma, is the least common of the three, but it is also the worst. Melanoma has a chance of spreading to lymph nodes as well as to distant organs, and it can cause death, much more so than the other two. It's a sneaky one, and we usually want to remove it as soon as possible. Often a melanoma will present itself as a very darkly pigmented or darkly colored lesion, which is logical since it starts in the skin layer which makes the melanin that our body uses to try to protect our skin from UV radiation, like from the sun. By the way, that melanin is how we tan. The melanoma can either develop on its own or develop within what was thought to be just a regular mole somewhere on the body. Most commonly, it may have an irregular border to it, meaning not smooth, and the amount of pigmentation may not be consistent or even. Yet, some melanomas have little to no pigmentation, and this can make them particularly difficult to spot. The interesting thing about melanomas, as opposed to the other types of skin cancer, is that the depth of skin involvement is extremely important in assessing how aggressive the melanoma may be and in predicting survival. And this leads me to a very important point that you should keep in mind. A referring physician may want to establish a diagnosis of whether or not a lesion is a melanoma before referring the patient to the plastic surgeon. That's great, but sometimes there may be a temptation to just shave off the lesion and then send it to the pathologist to get the diagnosis. This is a big no-no for possible melanoma because the depth or level of the shaving may inadvertently cross right through the base of the lesion, leaving some behind. This will destroy the ability to tell how deep the lesion was microscopically, since you cannot go back and just take a little bit more. Therefore, that predictive power is lost. So it's imperative for a biopsy of a possible melanoma to include what's called a full thickness skin sampling, not just a shaving. I can't emphasize this enough, and fortunately, most physicians understand this point. Now, with removal of a melanoma, once it's diagnosed, it's not as simple as excising the lesion with a small margin of surrounding normal skin to make sure you got everything, like you can with a basal cell or a squamous cell carcinoma. No, melanoma has a higher tendency for what we call local recurrence, which means the tumor can come back right in the nearby area, even if the pathologist found clear margins. Therefore, a formal removal of the lesion requires doing what we call a wide local excision. This can mean taking an inch or more of normal appearing surrounding skin all the way around in a circular fashion depending upon the area where the melanoma is located. Again, here's where a plastic surgeon's involvement can be extremely helpful since the remaining defect, once all that skin is removed, can be pretty large. It may require a skin graft, as I mentioned earlier, or it may be able to be repaired by elevating and rearranging skin in the nearby area to get satisfactory coverage. Our skin is pretty stretchy and can tolerate this most times, but there are some areas of the body where there's just not enough excess skin to be able to be repositioned. And here's where a plastic surgeon's judgment and skills are extremely helpful. If a melanoma was found to be deep enough or has spread already, sometimes lymph nodes have to be sampled, and special radiation, chemotherapy, or immunotherapy may need to be added to the treatment regimen. So we always hope to catch it before it gets to that point. All right, given these three main types of skin cancer, again with melanoma being the worst, who should be doing the surveillance or screening to see if there is any concerning skin lesion present?
Well, frankly, it's a team effort. It's important that every patient get to know their body and skin. Most of us are pretty good at identifying if a mark or a bump was not there before. And certainly we don't have to be worried that every single thing is a skin cancer. But if something suspicious does develop, and we'll talk about what that really means in a little bit, and if this suspicious area has not gone away in a couple of months, then it is likely time to get it checked out. So you, as the patient, can be quite instrumental in the first step of maintaining your skin health, and therefore your health overall. So make that phone call to your doctor. Otherwise, when you do happen to go for a routine doctor visit, if there is something obvious on routine skin exam, then your physician will usually say something to you about the possibility of biopsying a lesion. Or, if you are a patient who has been deemed to be at high risk for skin cancer, then your physician, typically a primary care physician or dermatologist, will schedule you for mole mapping with yearly checks. This mole mapping can be especially helpful for people who just happen to have a lot of moles throughout the body, or for those who have either had personal or family history of skin cancer, or previous radiation to an area, or are just immunocompromised for some reason. So now let's talk about what to look for. For basal cell carcinoma and squamous cell carcinoma, again, we are looking for any skin lesion that is either pearly white, red, raised, scaly, or broken down into a sore that doesn't heal. Also, anything that is persistently itchy. Rarely, these lesions can be less obvious. There is a special type of basal cell carcinoma called the morphia type that may look just like an old, lightly colored patch of scar that continues to get larger, so this one can be a bit tricky. For melanoma, however, we're typically looking for a darkly pigmented skin lesion that is flat, though it can be raised like a nodule, and has an irregular border curvature. Possibly there may be inconsistent pigmentation, so it's not even. Though again, not all melanomas have this dark degree of pigmentation. Also, the melanoma may not be located on an exposed area of skin. It could be in a place that never sees the sun. And melanoma has even been reported in odd places like the nail bed of the finger, which can be tricky to remove, as you might imagine. There are various mnemonics out there to help you remember what to look for if you do develop a concerning skin lesion. One in particular for melanoma is the ABCDE mnemonic. A stands for asymmetry, meaning that the shape is irregular or that the two imagined halves of the lesion are not the same. B stands for border. Again, the outline of a benign, meaning non-cancerous mole, is typically a nice rounded curvature. Any irregularities to this could be suspicious. C stands for color. Irregularities in color or pigmentation may be suspicious. D stands for diameter. The larger a lesion becomes, the more concerning it is, though certainly plenty of benign lesions can be large, and certainly plenty of melanomas or other skin cancers, for that matter, could start out quite small. And E stands for evolving. A skin lesion that is changing over time is potentially suspicious and should be evaluated. If you'd like to see some sample photos to give you an idea of what some of the more common skin cancers might look like, as well as benign lesions, like seborrheic keratosis, there are numerous websites which can provide these. But an everyday one that I think gives nice examples is called non-cancerous, precancerous, and cancerous tumors. 
and it's on the medicinenet.com website. I'll post the exact web address in the show notes for this episode number 23 on the plasticsurgerydecoded.com website. But again, there are many options online to help you get acquainted with what skin cancers could look like. Actually, you might be surprised by the variety of appearances within each category. So, is there anything that can be done for prevention? Well, you can minimize unprotected sun and UV exposure, including tanning beds. And as you've heard me say before in these podcast episodes, sunblock is your friend. This will not eliminate skin cancer risk, but it can reduce it, particularly if it's been used consistently from an early age. This is especially important because it seems bad sunburns in childhood or early adulthood can significantly increase the risk of developing skin cancers in later life. Ideally, you want something with an SPF of 30 or higher to be most effective, but realize that even this is no guarantee that you will be protected from developing skin cancer. Some people are just going to get it no matter what. But in my mind, if you can reduce the chances, why wouldn't you? And the other tools of prevention are your eyes and your voice. No need to be over-anxious with this, but do be vigilant and do be vocal. If you identify something that you are not sure about, then mention it to your doctor. If it is darkly pigmented, then mention it sooner rather than later. Better to have a small scar from a biopsy of a lesion that turned out to be benign than to miss a melanoma that could have been caught early and saved a lot of anguish or even saved a life. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded.